get over the miracle of Jesus saving your soul. Amen. It's a blessing. And so, boys, go forth and prosper with the, uh, the handouts here tonight. And so, uh, as they pass by, if you'd like one of those, um, if you could grab one of them from them as we uh, continue on in our uh, series we've been in. Uh, this is uh, one of the subjects, I just always love preaching on this uh, area, um, mainly because it has a lot to do with missions and the area of uh, missions giving. Uh, oftentimes it's called faith promise giving, uh, but uh, the Bible actually has a, more of a, a true to the biblical terms is more grace giving, grace giving. And so we're going to talk about that because it doesn't just apply to missions, it applies to a lot of areas most of the time. We would apply this type of giving uh, and generosity to the area of missions, but it applies in many different uh, areas and spectrums there. And so, if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians and chapter number 8. Now, you might notice uh, in the bulletin and up on the screens, it actually says 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Now, I'm going to let you know right now, we are not covering two full chapters in the Bible tonight. There ain't no way. Now, we're, we're going to do a little bit of cherry picking and kind of give you some overview of the, those particular passages of Scripture. But I want you there and, and ready to go, and uh, that way we can kind of grab some of the verses uh, as uh, needed uh, as we're able to kind of take a look at these. So, uh, if you found your place there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, if you're able to, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word and uh, appreciate them guys getting the handouts out. If you don't have one of those and you want one, make sure and grab one of those little guys running around's attention. Uh, that way they can get you a handout. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, and we'll start there in verse number 1. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now, again, there's a whole lot that is then unpackaged after this, but I'd like to uh, teach on here tonight and talk about in this dollars and cents series we've been in, dealing with our personal finances, the area of giving, or we might say it this way, grace-filled generosity, giving. Okay? So may God bless you as already could be seated, and thank you, as always, for standing in honor of the scriptures uh, here tonight. <clears throat> If you want something bad enough, you will say no to many other things today so you can say yes to what you want most tomorrow. Now, I've learned that this is true in many, many areas of life. Uh, delayed gratification, right? I want something in the future, so I'm willing to say no to some things today so that I may have those things in the future. Now, we already talked about some of this idea when we talked about saving. Right, that saving in essence is saying no to things I could get today so that I could set aside for things in the future. So in that same way of thinking, we're going to kind of take a look at this thing of grace giving. 
When I was uh, on staff with my, uh, my dad, <clears throat> I got in my mind that I really needed a uh, Mac computer. And not just any Mac computer, I wanted the big one. And not just the big one, it had to have all the cool bells and whistles on it. Well, Apple doesn't make cheap stuff. And so I, I somehow got in my mind, everyone had convinced me, you know, Apple was the way to go as far as computers. And so I just was so excited. I was just getting into stuff at the church and putting together the bulletins and I worked on the website and all the other stuff that was there. And so I was wanting to get, you know, Final Cut and wanting to get, uh, you know, InDesign and publisher stuff and all, all the cool stuff that you could put on there. So, um, needless to say, uh, we didn't have the money for it. So I devised a wicked awesome plan. Here was my plan. I was going to leave early every day before work, and I was going to park on a different part of the road on the way to work, and I was going to pick up aluminum cans. And by trading in my aluminum cans, I was to become a millionaire, so that then I could trade that in and get my computer. Well, I, I really didn't make a ton of money on the aluminum cans, uh, but I, I will say that that trend went on for quite a while until someone from the church drove by and I was there early in the morning before I went into work walking up and down the streets like I did every morning had a trash bag and was picking up cans on the side of the road and they drove by and I waved at them with a can in my hand only to realize it was a beer can and I thought I'm in trouble <laughs> and then I started to think about it 90% of the cans I'm picking up on the side of the road are beer cans and my whole garage is full of bags of them they have the teenagers over the house and have some explaining to do, right? But uh, the whole thing was I was willing to do the extra effort and do special things because I really wanted to be able to get that computer in the future. I went without some things at the present because I had an ambition and a goal that was bigger than my immediate desires. So because that outshone the little things, I was able to say no to those little things, like a candy bar and a Coke, so that I could strive to have the bigger thing, the item that I was really desiring to have. Okay, I think we understand that dynamic of delayed gratification or delaying saying no to things today, many things today, so you can say yes to that one thing that you want most in the future. Now, for sake of not trying to just drive this into the ground, I know we just did a whole big series on faith, but this is oftentimes referred to as faith promise giving or grace giving. And so because of that, I think it's important to kind of address this word without killing the subject, okay? So let me just do this really quickly here. So we understand that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, which is stated in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1. Now there are two words that are a necessity to understanding this passage of Scripture. The first one is that of substance. Now, the word substance literally means a setting or placing underneath a substructure or a foundation. And again, when we think about something that has substance, we think about something that's got something to it, right? There's a foundation there. There's, there's trust that can be placed in it, like a chair, most chairs, you can plop down in them and say, hey, it's going to hold my weight. It's a scary thing if that doesn't happen, right? And you say, that chair didn't have any substance to it. <laughs> you come crashing right through that, okay? So, uh, obviously, there are good 
substances and other things that don't really make a good substance. But in the sense of Hebrews 11.1, 1, when he says faith is the substance, he's talking about it's a sure foundation that you can trust in over and over and over again. Now, this substance is of things that are hoped for. Now, again, hope is not like this, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope. It is a confident and quiet trust. So there's a big difference between the guy who says, I'm, I'm hoping that some girl will look my way and she'll notice me carrying 12 chairs. Look how strong I am, right? That's how church boys show off to the church girls. Look how many chairs I can carry. But then there's a difference between that and the guy who goes, I'm hoping for the day when I get married. And he's got a ring on the girl's finger. And they've got a date set. And they're looking forward to it. And they're making plans. Now, that is what the biblical term here that's used, hoped for, has that idea in mind. It's not some kind of crazy wish. It's a quiet, confident understanding. It for sure is going to happen. Now, we have some substance of things that are hoped for, like Jesus is coming again. The, the fact that we're going to get a new glorified body. We have a mansion in heaven. These are things that we can hope for. We look forward to those. And here's the thing, God says those things have substance. They're, they're not loose promises, they're substantial promises. He then goes on and says, faith is not only substance of things hoped for, it is also this, the evidence of things not seen. Evidence, of course, is a proof by which a thing is proven or tested. Just like in a court case, they'll say, if you'll turn to exhibit A, this proves the innocence or the guilt of this individual. A teacher will pull out a, a key to grade a test, and she will pull it out, and she will say, here is the evidence that you answered this question correctly or incorrectly, based on the key uh, for this test. Now, we understand that God has evidence for things that you and I have never even seen. Better than evidence that you would submit into a court case. Better than physical evidence, there are things that we have never seen. Angels, demons, Jesus dying on the cross, heaven, hell. We've never seen any of those things, and yet we know them to be true because God has given us evidence that they are so. Amen. So because we have substance and we have evidence, we can have faith. So what is the substantive evidence of God? Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We understand that the word, the scriptures, is where our faith is to be placed. Now, again, I don't, again, I don't want to drive this into the ground, but faith cannot be a whimsical wish or wishful thinking. It, it just can't be something you just grab out of the air and just say, well, I want it to be so, so I name it and I claim it. I grab it, and now it's true because I said it to be so. How presumptuous of fallen man to think they can declare something and God must abide by what they have declared. The most presumptuous and wrong thinking of fallen man is these yahoos who get up on TV and they go, if you want to have it, just tell God you want it and bless God, he'll give it to you. That's not faith. That's the furthest thing from faith. God is not bound by your whimsical wishes. Now, not, not, not even close. Instead, faith much more closely would resemble putting trust and reliance in God's word. 
It can't be an ungrounded trust. Why? Because faith has substance. And faith has evidence. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so for us to have faith, we must receive it from God. And again, we preached through the whole book of Hebrews 11.1, 1, did a whole bunch of other stuff with faith. And over and over again, you'll see the declared truth in the Word of God is this. God would say something, God would tell someone something, and then the individual would believe what God said, and God said, that's faith. God told Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. And Noah said, I'll build that boat you're talking about, God. How foolish would it be if Noah went out there and said, God, I'm going to build a boat and you better get behind my plan. That wouldn't be faith. It's only faith because God said that it was going to happen and God told him to do that. And so there are many things that people claim to be faith and yet they're, they're nowhere to be found in this book. Now, I'm very thankful that God has given us very clear instruction about many things in the scripture. And so for us to call this faith promise giving or grace giving, we must believe that there is a ground or substance in the word of God that gives us understanding of what this is supposed to look like. Now, this is where 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 comes in, where these chapters, and we could look at other passages of scripture, but this is probably where it's most clearly taught, where there's clear teaching in the scripture of what grace giving or faith promise giving looks like and where those principles are brought forth. So we need to understand what Paul had in mind for the Corinthians during their day so that we can understand what he has in mind for us in our day. Now, just to give you some context, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, there's the, we'll just call it the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, is struggling uh, there's persecution, people are losing their jobs, they're losing their homes, some are even losing their lives. And because of this persecution, the church was in danger of not being able to be a church any longer. They were lacking the funds and people were having to move and the church was about to shut down and not even exist in Jerusalem anymore. And so they got in dire straits where it was like this. If the gospel is going to continue to be preached in Jerusalem, then the other churches need to help. There needs to be some people that jump in to the aid of the church at Jerusalem so that the gospel may continue. Now we read those verses at the beginning of chapter 8 where Paul praises the churches of Macedonia for their involvement in this thing of grace giving, their generous giving. So he talks about that they were in uh, deep poverty, they were under affliction themselves, and yet they reached deep into their pockets and they, they did all that they could because they said this, we want a gospel preaching church in Jerusalem. And we're not willing to let that church fall apart. And we're not willing to see those believers suffer and not have a church. And so we're going to continue and give. I, even though we don't have a whole lot, we're going to give what we can. And so Paul praised them. He actually tells them there that they had this uh, liberality, this rich liberality. Not the amount, but their heart is what he's really emphasizing here. So in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he had already asked them in 1 Corinthians 16, and now he's writing them again in 2 Corinthians saying, hey, the, it would be good if the church at Corinth would take up a love offering, get involved in this thing of grace giving to help the church in Jerusalem, to provide for them. That's the context of what's going on here in 2 Corinthians. 
Now, very rightly so, the church at Corinth was one of the largest churches and the wealthiest churches of first century churches. And yet they had the most problems. They'll tell you something about church life right there. So he's writing to them and saying, you have a much greater ability than the churches of Macedonia. I'm encouraging you, I'm, I'm imploring you, please get involved because the struggling church in Jerusalem needs your help. So just to kind of lay some ground rules and understanding of what Paul is talking about here. And so Paul is not talking to them about their tithe. So giving is not the, the tithe. He's talking to them about an offering or about giving. Okay, so you say, well, isn't that the same thing? Well, no, in the scriptures, to just kind of identify, there's some nuances and differences between these words. So we understand the tithe to be that which is the, the 10%. That's literally what the word means. If you're here when we did that lesson on tithing and that God even asked of his people and then even before his people that they were to be involved in this thing called tithing and give of the 10th the part that belonged to the Lord already. Now, an offering or giving is that amount that is given above the tithe. So this is that amount that you say, I'm, I'm giving my 10%, that's called the tithe, and now uh, out of the abundance, some of you are like, abundance, what's that, right? Out of the abundance that God has blessed me with, I'm now going to give. Okay, so that, that's what giving is in the Bible, or grace giving, or faith promise giving. You're not supposed to take the 10%, uh, tithe and spread it across all the funds, right? So you think about here at, at Bible Baptist, we've got the different, you know, you've got a building fund and missions and tithe, you know, general fund and all those different, okay, don't, don't take your tithe, your 10% and just spread it across all of those. That's, that's not the intention there. There's the tithe and then the others are there as intended as giving or grace giving, which would be above that. So here's some principles uh, in regard to this thing of grace giving or faith promise giving. Let me give these to you here uh, real quickly and we'll be done. Okay. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians 8 verses 10 through 12, he gives the first one, which is this. Paul tells them to give of what they have and not what they do not have. It's a novel idea. Let's look at it there. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse number 10 says this. And herein I give my advice. For this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. Now, what he's saying here is he's letting them know, I want you to give what you have, not what you don't have. Verse number 12, he says, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Okay, so in these verses, he basically says this, you can't give what you don't have. And God wants you to give the tithe, and God wants you to take care of your household needs, right? Food, clothing, shelter, right? If a man not take care of his own, he's worth an infidel, the Bible says. God wants you to take care of your family, and God wants to take care of your needs that you have. And then... If there's the ability to give above that and then give that amount to the Lord. So that is what he's talking about, is to give that which you have, not what you don't have. Now, the second thing is this. <clears throat> Paul tells them that each person is supposed to determine how much they're going to give. So if you're waiting for a letter from the church saying, 
we have estimated that you need to give this amount to missions. That ain't going to happen at Bible Baptist Church, okay? Just don't operate that way. I understand there's some denominations and groups out there that are kind of that way. That just doesn't happen, right? Uh, we believe that's a, a heart issue between you and the Lord, tithing and giving, right? That, that's between you and the Lord, so an issue that you need to work on there. And, of course, we would teach the Bible and try to show you the importance of those issues uh, from the Scriptures. But here's the thing. Uh, God wants you to determine in your own heart and in your own mind and in your own soul what you ought to give. So 2 Corinthians 9, 7 would say this, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Which is this, you need to get alone before the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to give? What will you enable me to give? To missions, to the building fund, to the children fund, to the youth fund, to the ladies fund. What do you want me to give to that? And that is for you to determine between you and God in good conscience before Him. Okay. <clears throat> Third thing here. Paul encourages them to give without grudgery in mind and without necessity in mind, but to do it cheerfully. This is found in 2 Corinthians 9.7, same verse we were just reading. After he says, every man as he purposes his heart, so let him give, he says this, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So what's he talking about here? Well, <clears throat> here's what I mean. To give grudgingly means it's done with sorrow, pain, annoyance, grief, or affliction. Which is kind of this. I'll give, but it's sure going to hurt to see it go. It's the person who the offering plate goes by and they go, tell me when it's over. Is the pain over yet? Oh, And they're just dreading with agony every part of the, the whole transaction, right? I'm doing this, but oh, it hurts. You know, God doesn't want us to give that way. God doesn't want us to give in agony or in grief or in affliction. And like the offering plate goes and we're like, bon voyage. <laughs> we like have a little funeral right there for our finances. You know, God doesn't want you to give that way. That's not the heart behind God. That's not the heart behind his church, right? He doesn't want you to give of necessity. Well, what does it mean to give of necessity? Well, to give of necessity means it's forced upon one by an authority or done because one is in a strait. Give or else. Or maybe this, well, I'll give it because the church is in a pinch right now and if I don't, they're going to be hurting. Right? I understand there are moments and times when maybe we feel that way. Well, if I don't, we're going to be in trouble and I need to... But that's not really the heart behind how God wants us to give either. God doesn't want us to give because of necessity or some kind of constraint where we feel like, well, I have to or else, or I'm being forced to, or some people are going to think bad of me. God doesn't want you to do that either. So how does God want us to give? Well, he wants you to give cheerfully. What does cheerful giving look like? Joyous, prompt to do anything, which is this. I can't wait to give. I'm excited God has blessed me in such a way that I can give. What, what a difference of mindset, isn't it? Uh, I can just give you a little bit of a, a story. I, I might have shared this here before about wanting to be involved in a uh, building project there at Cottondale when we first went on staff. And we were as broke as broke could be and really were trying to find some ways that we could be involved. And we just kind of said, we, we're just kind of tapped out. We, we don't have any money to give, and legitimately so. And so we just started praying that whole week, God, if you want us to give, you're going to have to provide something extra. And the day of the offering came and a guy came up to me that morning and put a $50 bill in my hand and said, God just wanted me to give this to you. And that $50 bill was in my hand for about 30 seconds 
it wound its way into an offering envelope for that special offering. And I'm telling you what, that was fun to see how God provided right there something we had been praying for. And we just said this, God blessed us. Now we have the opportunity to be involved in giving. That's awesome. And it doesn't have to be always that miraculous of a story. Uh, sometimes God just uh, maybe gives you a pay raise or allows some expenditure to go down. We'll talk about some of those here in just a moment where you just now, hey, now I have the flexibility, the ability to give. And that's an awesome feeling. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's fun to be a cheerful giver. It's not fun to do it grudgingly or of necessity, though. God wants you to be a cheerful giver with that. Okay. Uh, then the next one is this. <clears throat> there were those that thought that they couldn't live without the extra money. This isn't a new idea uh, in our day and age. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 8 would say this, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now again, we're just kind of cherry-picking some here. You can study out all these verses for yourself. But he basically writes to them and says this, Hey, uh, we're not asking you to give something you don't have, Right? But we are asking you to sacrificially give and, and, and give above that tithe and, and be involved in giving. And understand this, you really can live without it, right? Just go ahead and just stick it out there. You can live without that Starbucks cup of coffee. You could live without eating out the third time this week. You could live without that new piece of clothing, Right. Okay. I'm trying. I'm not trying to meddle here. What I'm saying is sometimes we feel like, well, I have to. But if we're honest with ourselves, we can say, you know what? I really could cut back on this one or two thing so that I have the ability to give. And that's what Paul was encouraging. God's able to bless and abound you. And you're able to, to live the life that you're living with very little restraint. And you'll still be able to be a huge blessing and encouragement to somebody in this area uh, of giving. Now, this all sounds great and fine for the Corinthians. So what does it exactly mean for us today? So we understand that faith is trusting what God has said, and God never said to pull a magical number out of the air. Now, I don't know where this came from, but the first time I ever heard about faith promise uh, commitments was at Heartland Baptist Bible College. The first time I ever heard faith promise giving was there. And, and I know it was well-meaning, but it was unscriptural. Come down to the altar... Don't look at your bank account. Just come to the altar and God will descend a magical number into your brain. And that number, regardless of what it is, you give that. You say, but I don't have it. But God told you to give it, so give it. That, that goes, actually flies in the face of the teaching of the scripture that's given here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Because he already said, God's not asking you to give something you don't have. He's only asking you to give what you do have. And he's asking you to do that intelligently. Okay, so I believe there is prayer involved in this. Anything that we're going to put the category faith on ought to be a prayed over matter, but it also involves intelligence and thought, which means I need to look at my bank account and I need to look at my budget and I need to plan and look ahead and think, what can God enable me to do cheerfully? Okay, not pull a magic number out of the air. So God did say that every man is to purpose in his heart what he should give of what he has and not what he doesn't have. But it does mean this. God wants you to purpose out of your heart, which means this. There ought to be some consideration. If God wants you to purpose in your heart, that means this. You need to think about it. How does God want me to be engaged and involved uh, in this aspect? I'm not going to bring up the whole idea of budgeting and all that again. 
you're tired of hearing about that, but it's important to have that budget and track your expenses so you do know where you're at and you'll have the ability to intelligently address uh, this opportunity of being able to give. So we have to consider this. Uh, the whole idea of grace giving as is presented to us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, again, I'm not trying to meddle here, but is the idea of saying this, there are some things in my life that are luxuries or extras that I can genuinely lay aside in order to have to give to them that are in need. So that, that really is the principle. So it has the idea, which we've already mentioned, could I live without this so that I could give to this? And it's an honest question that all of us need to address and, and ask of ourselves and say, is it more important for me to do this now or would I want to lay up treasures in heaven, right? Amen. If that's where moth and rust doesn't corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal, that's not all about money, but there is an aspect of that. For where your treasure is, that where your heart be also, the Bible says. And where we start to deflect and put our finances at starts to show a lot about our priorities of our heart. And so if we start to have a heavy emphasis that all our money's tied up in these luxuries or extras of life, not the necessities of life, but extras of life, and yet we're saying, I don't have money to give to a missionary, or I don't have money to give to uh, the, the, the future of Bible Baptist Church as far as a building fund, then it starts to be able to, to question and say this, where are the priorities at? And this isn't a pastor standing up here saying, you need to, or you must, or you, every person needs to purpose in your own heart what you give. If, if you go before the Lord and God says, well, you don't have the money to give. I don't want you to give to that. Then you go, got it. Then don't do it. That's between you and the Lord. But if God prompts on your heart and says, yeah, you need to be involved in this. You need to be given X amount every month. Or you need to give X amount every week. Maybe that's the cost of a Starbucks coffee, you know. I don't know, $22, whatever Starbucks coffee is anymore. I don't know how much they cost. You say, maybe it's laying aside one of those every week so you have 4 or $5 to give to a missionary. You say, well, that won't make any difference. Are you kidding me? If there were five or six people that aren't involved in mission giving that purpose to do that, we could probably take on another missionary. Amen. I mean, just think about the difference that that can make cumulative of a church when there's that heart and that mentality of grace giving, of saying, how does God want me to be involved in uh, cheerful giving to the Lord? So what are some areas of grace giving here in Bible Baptist Church? I've already mentioned these. Right there on your tithe envelope in front of you, these are some of the categories that we have. Um, <clears throat> of course, you've got missions, right? Probably the thing that stands out the most with this. And one of the things I never have a problem preaching about or talking about because the money that comes in for missions goes out to missions in, in the form of support and love offerings, right? We don't use that money to do our missions conference or do this or do that. It, it's for the missionaries. And, boy, I love being able to give to our missionaries. That's awesome. I love it, love it, love it. Uh, our building fund that we've just started, investing in the future, right, paying it forward. The youth fund, being able to have them encouraged to see our teenagers and their uh, growth here at the church, appreciate the Hastings being involved with them. They've done some pretty fun activities, a lot of activities that have allowed them a space. Uh, if you ever find yourself and you're complaining about the teens being like the teens of our day, well, let's provide a space for them where they can actually have clean Christian fun with one another, yeah. right? And, and that's really what that, that's there for, to help subsidize that cost of doing some activities and doing camp and investing in them. Uh, if you were a teenager growing up in church, 
there was probably some major decisions that you made on a youth activity, a youth rally, or a youth camp. I know I did. I met my wife there. I got called to preach there. Y'all wouldn't have a pastor probably if it wasn't for somebody invested in a youth fund. Let that kind of sink in, man. Uh, children's account. Uh, you know, the children, same way, investing in them. The ladies fund. And then being able to do the lady stuff that they do. Totally botched that. But anyways, there's these areas of grace giving that we're able to give to you above and beyond our tithe to be a blessing to them. I do want to encourage you here. Does, you might say, well, does all giving have to go to Bible Baptist Church? And the answer is no. We, we know a lot of people who God's blessed them and they have a heart to be involved in some uh, parachurch or extra thing. Uh, maybe it's some orphanage they give money to or some ministry over here and they just want to give. That's between you and the Lord. I will tell you on a practical level, me and my wife, uh, we decided a long time ago before I was ever a pastor, when we first got married, that all of our giving was going to happen through our local church. And, and the reason why is because we knew how they were going to handle the money. And we felt confident a church that we were a part of would handle the money with whether benevolence or whether it was uh, missions or whatever, that it was going to what we were giving it to. Uh, whereas a lot of places... You know, pennies on the dollar go to what it says it's going to. And that gave us some confidence to know, hey, if we give a dollar to this, a dollar's going to that. And we liked that investment knowing, hey, it's being used for biblical preaching and the gospel and, and the furtherance of God's kingdom. But be mindful where your grace giving is going through. I think there is some wisdom in giving it through the church in which you're a part of. But you don't have to. But that is a, some wisdom there. Okay, so practical application for my personal financial life. Give you these two points and then we're done just kind of as a summary of where we've been. First one is this. God wants you to be a cheerful giver, giving above the tithe when you're able to. Second thing is this. What are some extras or luxuries you could let go to practice grace giving? Okay. And again, this is a conversation between you and your spouse, you and the Lord that you pray about and you determine based on these biblical principles and you say, how does God want me to be involved in giving to this or this or this? And say, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to say, God, how do you want me to be involved in an intelligent conversation? God, I know you're not asking me to give something I don't have. You're asking me to give what I ought to give that you're asking me to. And then prayerfully consider that and then do this. This is a big important part of it. Do it cheerfully. Because God loves it when we say, man, I'm so glad God blessed me so that I could give in this way. Okay? Let's all stand as we come to a time of invitation here.